Easter Sunday, as Julie said, it's, it's going to be a, a great time. And uh, we've even had uh, Ellen and some of the workers downstairs over the last couple of weeks working all the way through. Um, but they're well prepared. just want to say also, uh, three schools coming in le- next week. Rob, I want to thank you for what you've built there. And I know you've had some frustrations even over the last couple of weeks with regard to all that. But it's been a great sowing of seed. And uh, I think we'll see the results of that next week. So thank you. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. We're going to come to the Word of God for a little time this morning. In a moment or two, Chris will put a verse up for me. But um, during our, during our we, we're believing that, that God wants to speak through his Word. This is not a lecture, friends. Uh, it's not just trying to engage our minds even, although that's important. It's not even a talk. It's something where God wants to speak through a messenger to touch our hearts and to change us a little bit more. It may be that it brings you to a place of committing to a journey of faith. It may be that this morning it, it strengthens your faith. But we're just praying over the next few minutes that God, through his word, his word that never changes, and his word that lasts forever, will speak to us again. And those of you that have been part of Arena Church uh, will know that during the autumn we've been running with a series called God First, which has now come to a conclusion. And thank you for the way that you've received that and for taking on the challenge of seeking first the kingdom of God. And as we do that, implementing the priority, so the promise kicks in and all these things will be added to us. If you read the context of Matthew 6, that's the things that so often we worry about. And God says that he will take care of all of that if we'll put him first. And then Christian spoke last week. And by the way, Christian's in Bonnie, Scotland this morning. He, he had the opportunity uh, to speak to some of our leaders in Scotland yesterday regarding church planting. And this morning, he's in the Assemblies of God Church in Hamilton, uh, speaking, bringing the word, and then flying back home later today. So we're praying already that God will bless him. And uh, so we're in, we're in now that sort of, that whole sense of, as Julius uh, has brought to us in the announcements, that whole sense of looking forward to a very special time of the year. And in Arena Church, we, we sort of take some note of the Christian calendar. So... For instance, we celebrate Christmas. We're glad to do so. We celebrate Easter. I always remember the first time that Chris and Chris came to the church. It was an Easter Sunday. And Chris said to me at the door, My, you preached on the resurrection. I said, Well, you know, what else would you do? And we had a conversation about it. It was just a little bit of a link for them to go on a really great journey with us over the last four or five years. But the reality is, friends, why would you want to speak on anything else at these particular times of the year? But we understand that, for instance, friends with an Anglican tradition would get forth after Trinity and all of those sorts of things, which we're not into, you know. Um, But I say all that because the fourth Sunday before Christmas, which is today, is often recognized in the church calendar as the beginning of Advent. And over the last two or three years, we've often found this Sunday as a time where we've finished a series of laying into the church And then looking ahead over the next two or three weeks, as we've already heard about this morning, but just to lay a word into our hearts that would set us up for this season. Here's the verse that I'd like us to think about uh, in a moment or two. Hebrews 6, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Advent, Adventus in its Latin means arrival or coming. And many Christians of different 
expressions of spirituality would use these next 24 days as a sense of preparing themselves for really homing in on the coming of Jesus as a babe to the earth. And of course, we celebrate that particularly on Christmas Day. If you want some help with that, then the Arena Church Bible reading plan for December is uh, on the theme of Advent, and it's available on the website, but if you've not got access to that or you prefer a paper copy, then they're available on the resource desk downstairs. And it takes you up to Christmas Eve. Because, are you going to read your Bible on Boxing Day? Probably not, you know. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is it takes us up to Christmas Eve and to celebrate the, 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 the birth of the Lord. And the truth is, and it's become very cliched, Jesus is the reason for the season. You know, one cynic said once, you know, about Christmas, he says, they're even bringing religion into it now. And uh, <clears throat> friends, it's the reason we've got it. The reason for Christmas is not on Friday going into Tesco fighting over 50-inch televisions. The Lord help us. That's everything that it's not. Greed, grabbing, selfishness. That is not the reason for the season. And there are four major themes of Advent. One is love. Interestingly, Christians spoke on that last week. Another is peace. Peace to all. Another is joy, which is more than just a superficial outward expression of happiness, as good as that is. But it's something that really does well up within. And the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the fourth theme of Advent is hope. Now, I couldn't do justice to three of those in the minutes that we've got this morning. So I've honed in on the last one, which I think is a very relevant word to the society in which we live in today. That one of the great truths of this season of the year is that God wants to fill us with hope. And that's the reason for that verse, which I'll come back to in a moment or two. When Christian came back from his holiday uh, in the autumn, he spoke downstairs at the little leaders meeting we have just to pray before the Sunday services start. And also he mentioned it again in the staff meeting that he'd been rereading uh, a book on the leadership secrets of Billy Graham. <clears throat> and uh, those of you that particularly got a passion to develop your leadership, this is a book well worth reading. We often define Billy Graham in quotes as the greatest evangelist of the 20th century. But when you read the book, you realize there was so much more to him than that. And he was a genuine leader. And Christian mentioned the fact that one of the things that Graham loved to do with regard to uh, living out his ministry was to be full of hope. And this week, as I was preparing this message, I flipped back through that book myself, having read it some time ago, and came across a couple of other quotes with regard to this theme. So on page 96 of the book, the writer says, Billy Graham has always been known for communicating hope. That's a great testament. And then on page 98, Graham determines to live by his convictions of the gospel of hope, always communicating it to others. Dr. Graham's now in his mid-90s, frail of health. But many people, including us during the summer series in the church, have seen that brilliant new release from the Billy Graham 
evangelistic association on the cross. And you realize by using an old man with also modern means, he is still a purveyor of hope, a carrier of hope. And many, many people around the world have been impacted by that video. I was talking to a friend of mine in Sheffield, inner city Sheffield, just a few weeks ago, that put that video on on a Friday evening. Six people gave their lives to Jesus. Brilliant. And they were really thrilled by the impacts of the film. A purveyor of hope. So our Bible verse was, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. I was thinking of the boys getting hold of a big anchor this morning and bringing it in, but I'm not sure whether this platform would stand it. So I wonder if you'll just use your imagination for a moment that to my right is a big anchor and it represents hope. What is hope? Well, the Vines Dictionary defines it as a confident expectation in the unseen through faith and the future. I want to suggest, friends, that society is not particularly looking into the future with a great sense of optimism in these days. But hoping God brings just that. And it's built on the absolute certainty of God keeping his word. If we opened up the context of Hebrews 6, that verse is written as the writer speaks to the persecuted Christians of the first century that he was speaking to. And reminding them that just as God kept his word with Abraham and never deviated from it, so he would also keep his word with the Christian church. And on the basis of the fact that God is is not a man that he should lie, but is always true to his word, we can have a hope that is sure and certain that acts as an anchor to our lives. And what does an anchor bring? Well, an anchor brings support. An anchor brings stability. An anchor brings security, often in turbulent times. So you'll hear the skipper of a ship when the winds are blowing and the rains are beating, telling the crew to drop anchor. And it's been amazing sometimes to see storms that have have come in on coasts at times where ships have been able to maintain their intactness Because of the power of the anchor keeping them secure. I'd love to say as a pastor, friends, that Christian people never have storms in their life. But if I went down that route, you'd immediately become skeptical because you know that the reality is true. And the fact is, at times, we run with this continual challenge that sometimes bad things seem to happen to good people. And the Bible seeks to wrestle with that, and it's not our brief this morning. But at times, storms come to our lives. We can't even sometimes prepare for them because they literally come right out of the blue. It may be a storm with regard to health. It may be a storm with regard to job security, or should I say insecurity. It may be the storm of a broken relationship that seems so good and so we could go on. And over years of pastoring, I've noticed at times that these storms blow up almost on occasions out of nothing. And there are times when the local church has to navigate storms. It may be that the finances are under the cosh. It may be that something 
publicly has gone wrong that needs to be addressed. It may be that there was a great project that was pursued in faith and somehow it petered out and fell to the ground. And there's a sense of discouragement that fills the air. And so we could go on. Storms. We don't want storms. Who likes to stand out in the, in the, on a beautiful sunny day and say, come on, pour with rain. But it just rains. In terms of the global village that's now called the world, we've seen a family this week have to negotiate a storm. As a professional critic goes out to bat like he's done a thousand times, gets hit on the head with a ball and is into eternity in a moment. I was just getting ready in the bathroom on Thursday morning. Sharon sort of came to me and says, that cricketer died. No. A storm. There are people around this room that have had to negotiate bereavement and loss. Things that have come to their lives that sometimes are unexplainable and inexplicable. God says that in those moments, he can give us a hope that's as sure and certain as an anchor that will bring a stability to our lives that only he can bring. One of our great anthem songs that we've sung across this church this year is, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. That Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone. Weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord. Lord of all. What's the opposite of hope? So I always get discouraged when they go out, but they assure me it's nothing to do with the preacher. Okay, but... Fear, the opposite, despair, the opposite, fear. And the enemy, friends, loves to sow fear into people's lives. I don't want to talk about fear this morning, but suffice to say, here's what fear does. Fear undermines the promises of God over our life. And so you claim a promise to your life and the enemy seeks to undermine it. Oh, no, that's not for you. That's for him. That's for her. It's not for you. Don't allow fear to undermine the promises of your life. Fear exaggerates the power of the enemy. Instead of Jesus being strong, he seems strong. Instead of the Lord standing tall over our lives, he seems to stand tall over our lives. And he's a giant at times and seeks to portray himself as such, but a giant that can be slain in the name of Jesus. And fear seeks to destabilize our position in Christ and take us away from what he's called us to be. And the Bible says in Ephesians that we are called to sit in heavenly places. It doesn't mean that we're floating around in the sky. And we won't be doing that in the eternal day, by the way. Do you want to float around in a cloud for a million years? I mean, it's, it's got to be more than that, hasn't it? Yeah. And it will be. It will be. But the reality is that we are seated in a place of authority with Christ. And we need to take that delegated authority that he has given to us. He's given us authority to be called the sons of God. And use it to push back on fear. Paul says to the Colossian church, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And of course that phrase, fear not, is one of the great phrases of what we call the Christmas story. And let me just nail it again. 
It might be that Jesus wasn't born on December the 25th. You'll get somebody clever saying it was October, you know. It's October. You know, they've done all the research. Well, it might have been. But does it matter? Does it matter? And the reality is, friends, that we... What, and then people say, you know, the Christmas story. It's not really the Christmas story, you know. It's just sort of what we built around it. Well... Some of you are going to enjoy so many nativity plays over the next few weeks, it's going to drive you mad. Particularly if you've got several young children. But what a story. And those shepherds, those ordinary working class guys on the fields, the angelic host came to, says, guys, fear not. Fear not. Because I've got great Good tidings of great joy to bring to you. And let's let ring out this Christmas season from Arena Church, telling people not to fear, not to let fear rob them of the hope that God wants to give to their lives. So briefly, I'm going to race through this. I'm going to give you five things about hope. And I really want it just to build in your heart today that confident expectation In the unseen and the future, God has got a purpose for us and he's with us every moment of the day. And whatever comes to our pathway, it will always be an anchor, firm and secure. Number one, hope is foundational. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith and hope are closely married together. And as we walk in faith, it builds our hope in our deepening relationship with Jesus. Hope is a giant truth of the Christian church. That is why Bill Hybel said all those years ago that the local church is the hope of the world. It really is. In other words, he's saying that it ought to be a voice. It ought to be something that speaks. You don't want the church to be a place of despair. You don't want the church to be a place of negativity. You don't want the church to be a place of fear. We want the church to be a place of hope. This year, through Arena Church, dozens and dozens of people have been impacted with a message of hope, sometimes almost without realizing it, because they're not sitting here listening to a message from me or Christian, but they've received it from the community hub. They've received it in the Acorn Small uh, Children's Group. They've received it through the shops, and so we could go on. Expressions of hope. And hope takes us from the beginning to the end. Hope stands tall amidst the gloom and despondency. Hope is a beacon in dark places. Hope is a sure foundation that never wavers. Secondly, hope is internal. 1 Peter 3, verse 15, where the writer says to the people... And bear in mind, the people in Peter's day were people, again, that were being persecuted for the faith. They were being scattered and dispersed. He says, give a reason for the hope you have. Or as some translations say, give a reason for the hope that is within you. With gentleness and respect. Hope cannot be produced as food on a plate. Hope is not a garland that we would wear around our neck but when hope is in you hope will come out of you it's inevitable it's absolutely inevitable and living out hope becomes the great precursor to talking out words 
See, sometimes Christian people have got it wrong. They've gone diving into a work context, a community where they live. Without living it, they've wanted to speak it. And nobody's been listening. Particularly if you're turning up at work late every day and then wanting to tell everybody what a great Christian you are. It's not going to work. But when we carry hope internally... People start to come and say, what is it about? What is it about you? In this world that seems so gloomy at times and so despairing and so pessimistic. And it gives you a reason to give the, it gives you an opportunity to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Notice it says do it with gentleness and respect. Hope is internal. Thirdly, hope is intentional. Because Romans 4 verse 18, speaking of Abraham, says against all hope... Abraham, in hope, believed. In Genesis 15, it says that Abraham's offspring would be as the stars of the sky. And I believe, friends, that he wasn't just speaking about his natural descendancy there. He was speaking about the redeemed community. Galatians tells us that in faith, we're the sons of Abraham. He wasn't just speaking about a few hundred years. He was speaking about thousands of years where God could see down the ears of time and find a man that would believe in faith and say, this man would be an example to all those that would follow on behind. And today, thousands, millions of people across the earth are doing what we're doing, worshipping the name of Jesus, giving him thanks. Against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed, because at that point, he couldn't even produce a son biologically. And it seemed as though for him and Sarah, their their days of natural reproduction had passed them by. It seemed impossible. But we all know that with God, all things, all things are possible. And so even though it seemed impossible, and even though the promise seemed so far off, against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. You know the story. How that first of all they conceived Isaac by a miracle. And then God tested Abraham's faith and asked him to present Isaac as a sacrifice to him. An amazing story in Genesis 22. And read it again sometime. Everything on the altar for God. God, whatever you say, whatever it costs, I'm going to follow you. And if we could get some more Christians to that place, friends, we could really shift this nation. Whatever it costs, I'll follow you, Lord. Whatever you say, I'll do it. And God says, because I've seen your face, there's a ram in the thicket prepared for the sacrifice. And the promise kicked in of the amazing blessing of his descendancy being more numerous than the sand on the seashore. I wonder what situations are over our lives today, friends, that seem impossible. I wonder if you've got an errant son or daughter that have said, Mom, Dad, I love you, but it's not for me, that faith. And they're doing things that you'd rather than, that they didn't do. And it seems impossible. But against all hope, Abraham believed. And I want to encourage you to keep praying for them. I want to encourage you to keep prophesying them back to God. Because God can do it in a minute. I wonder if there's a context in your world that somebody's sick. It seems impossible. That against all hope we believe. I wonder if you look at your future. Think well how could God do anything with 
me. And it seems impossible. But against all hope, you believe. I always remind people, friends, whenever I have the privilege of ministering, and I've been overwhelmed with it increasingly in the last three or four years in terms of roles that I've been involved in, responsibilities I've carried, representing our, our denomination and national leadership team. I'm, there's nobody more surprised than me. Because I grew up on a council estate in Nottingham. There's no earthly reason why I should have the privilege of ministering. But you see, when you put your hope in God, anything's possible. And God can take hold of people that seemingly the world passed by and use them amazingly for God. And I just sense there are people in the meeting this morning that live with a continual inferiority complex. You're forever pushed down on yourself. You're the first person telling yourself that you could never do what God wants you to be. And I call it out of you this morning. I call the destiny of God out of you, the purpose of God out of you, the ministry that sits in you this morning. Not in arrogance, but in that sense of being what God has destined you to be in him. Against all hope, Abraham believed. Number four, hope is inspirational. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Paul says, I pray that you may know hope, the hope to which you are called. Bible commentators tell us that verses 15 to 23 of Ephesians 1 is one breathless sentence of 163 words. (laughs) He couldn't stop. (sighs) And one of the things that he wants us to be is inspired by our Christian journey. So often we can feel apologetic about it. So often we can feel that we're being defined by a secular culture. Remember Josh's word of a few weeks ago about lifting your head up and looking around. That's where God wants us to be, to be inspired again, to understand that, that we, have, we have been called to a great hope. The prayer there says that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened. Remember that song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. That's where it comes from. That today we'd have a real eye opener. You know, if you go away from the, the church, they say, I've never seen it like that before. That's the Lord opening your eyes and bringing you to a place of understanding what he has called you to be. It's called to hope, to carry it. It's the hope to which we are called. And fifthly, hope is eternal. 1 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19 says that if we only have hope for this life, we are to be pitied. Or as the older translations say, we are of all men most miserable. 1 Corinthians 15 is a resurrection chapter. And no, we're not going to Easter this morning. But suffice to say that if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we couldn't be here. He he defines everything. A living faith, preaching, communicating, having hope in God. And the people were getting skeptical about the resurrection. And Paul lays down the arguments. And he says, one of the things that you need to be concerned about is if you've only got hope for this life, then you're to be pitied. But... Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of all those that slept. This week we conducted the funeral of Vera Crabtree in this church. A lady that found Jesus many, many in a formative years through a church army minister and served him all her days. In the late 80s went to eternity. And whilst there was sadness for Keith and Angela and, and, uh, and David and Esther and the family... Because there'd been a taking away. There was also a hope. Because, friends, it's not a cliche. It's the word of God. Absent from the body, present from the Lord. 
Vera is with the Lord. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And there's something amazing about Christians, even in those times, that don't have to grieve as those that have no hope. If you've been a pastor and you've led funerals of Christians and you've led funerals of people that have had no faith, the difference, friends, is stark. And it's defined by eternal hope. I close. Some time ago, a friend of mine that enjoys a prophetic ministry read this verse out in a leaders' meeting. Jeremiah 29, 11. Lots of you would know it, but he read it from the message. It says this. This is God. I know what I am doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to give you a future that you hope for. Say, Phil, I've come to this church this morning. It's all right, you going on about hope. But it's all gone wrong for me. It's been a disaster. Everything's caved in. I want to say this morning, friends, that on the authority of the word, change can begin to come. And here's the words of somebody that was dying of terminal cancer. Dare we hope? We dare. Can we hope? We can. Should we hope? We must. To do any other would be to waste one of the most precious gifts given freely by God to us. It's the gift of hope. Julie, if you come through.